Some bonds last a lifetime. Some bonds inspire confidence. And some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at PIMCO.com bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, put it in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. There's the people. There's the corporations. And then there's the government. Right now, the first two are doing extremely well. But the third, boy, is it ever in the way, even with record numbers. Yep, after a day where the Dow lost 79 points, S&P advanced 0.47, NASDAQ gained 0.85%. The last two, both records. You need to understand that the government has become the one wild card in this market, and it does wreak havoc on all sorts of stocks. Think about it. Last fall, the Fed created its own personal bear market, the Jay Powell bear market, uh, because he told us he might need to raise interest rates repeatedly, even overshooting to stamp out inflation, which at the time was non-existent. At the time, nearly every indicator I follow was flashing red. Powell was totally out of touch, and it crushed the market. Powell's rookie mistake almost gave us a recession. Fortunately, he came to a census in January and changed course, but we never should have been in that position to begin with. That's the kind of thing that keeps happening with this administration. We wouldn't have gotten into this mess with former Fed Chief Janet Yellen. She was data-driven, not dogmatic, and she understood the power of her own words. But, of course, even though President Trump's tweets uh, uh, are about lower interest rates and maybe having some effect, I don't know, but remember what he did. Remember what he did? He sacked Janet Yellen. That's why this is happening. He placed her with the more hawkish pal. As much as he likes to bash pal, he's the one who hired the guy. We're still feeling the effects of his mistake. Witness the weakness in Caterpillar today. One of two stocks blowing the other that really did hurt the Dow Jones average. Then there's the president's trade policy. Trump likes to keep everyone guessing on tariffs. Will next week's trade talks with China go well? Will they go badly? Will his great friend, President Xi, finally buy some soybeans from us? Even if he's just got to bury them somewhere in the desert because they already have enough soy from Brazil. The truth is, we have no idea where this is going. Maybe China will make concessions. Maybe they won't. There's no clarity. You know, I think the Chinese government has been taking advantage of us for decades. It made sense to crack down on their bad behavior. Still, the tariffs have kept the stock market down from even loftier records. I mean, it should be taken out what it was doing in September by a mile. And like the higher rates from the Fed and the, well, let's just say they've cost the American business person a lot of money. They probably cost you money. But consumers are so flush that you don't feel it. And there's so many jobs available. But that's why this is the best time to go toe-to-toe with China. And they deserve it. However, just because it makes sense long-term doesn't mean it's good for many of the stocks in the stock market. The tariffs and j missteps have created quite a thicket for corporate America. I think the stock market would be substantially higher without these two albatrosses around their necks. Even with these big problems, though, I always got the sense that this was an incredibly pro-business administration. Regulations? We don't need no stinking regulations. Or at least that was 
their attitude until today. Now the agencies, agencies run by President Trump with presidential appointees, have declared war on some of the most successful companies on earth. They're going after big tech. They're going after Facebook, going after Apple, going after Amazon, going after Alphabet. Far a long, long way to go. Overnight, we learned that the Justice Department is launching a big antitrust probe into these companies. Now, I can see from both sides. When I spoke to Megan Del Rahim, he's the head of the antitrust division near the beginning of his tenure, he agreed with me that these tech companies were the best America had to offer. I'm so proud that they are American. He didn't want to stifle their innovation. Then a year later, I interviewed him for a corporate government conference I threw, and I should have known right then that the gears were shifting. I presumed that he hadn't changed his mind, but he was much more cautious about the big tech platforms. He talked about how anti-competitive behavior is still anti-competitive, even if it lowers prices for you, the consumer. Now, he's not wrong. If you offer consumers great prices in order to drive out all your competitors, right, like the old standard oil, well, that's a problem. But it was shocking because the regulators have been laser-focused on consumer prices as the key antitrust barometer for ages in this country. Now we know justice is going after pretty much all the big dogs, and their ingenuity which has been so amazing, won't save them this time. The fact that Amazon's doing the same thing online that Walmart did offline doesn't matter. Walmart's had the good fortune to crush its competitors when nobody cared about the stuff. Amazon Web Services lowers prices for everybody. But yes, it can allow the company to steer some business their own way. For decades, as long as these companies were pushing prices down, the regulators didn't mind uh, if they got too bloodthirsty. It was good for you. But now if Google's making life difficult for Yelp or driving you toward an app of where they benefit, there's no immunity. If Apple builds an incredible product but forces you to buy all your apps from their store, does that really make them a monopolist? Who says you have to buy the apps? 40 years ago, yes, this was textbook anti-competitive behavior. But it's, be, it's been unenforced for so long that I'm indignant on Apple's behalf. While we need any trust law, it's a little jarring when the whole regulatory regime changes overnight from a Repu- Republican president who's anti-regulation. And then there's Facebook. Now, Facebook's also being investigated by justice, but today was all about the suddenly very tough Federal Trade Commission running roughshod over CEO Mark Zuckerberg for all sorts of privacy violations. The FTC has been a paper tiger for years. Today, we learned that they hit Facebook with a $5 billion fine. Okay, some people say uh, not that large. Some people said chump change for a $584 billion company. But they also, more important, more importantly, they announced an unprecedented series of actions designed to strip Zuckerberg of his power over all things privacy. And some of these people, the FTC, wanted to strip Zuckerberg of all power on everything. Uh, I got to tell you, this privacy thing matters tremendously. You know why? Well, given that the product Facebook offers is you, well, then privacy is incredibly important to every decision they make. The FTC has told Facebook to install independent directors on its board, directors who can monitor Zuckerberg's actions. They won't be friendly, and everyone else is, too. He can't make privacy decisions anymore. Those will not be handled by an independent privacy commission on the board. I thought this decision was incredibly tough. I, I was astonished. It wasn't talked about nearly enough. They talked about the $5 billion. This is amazing. Then again, the president appointed the FTC chairman, Joseph Simons himself, and Simons was a partner of Paul Weiss. Paul Weiss before this. You know what that means? It means he's independent, it means he's honest, it means, he's not, it means he can't be bought. This is a brutal decision. In a way, Facebook had it coming, but Simon's nailed them harder, I think, than if he had taken them to court. These are real restraints to the point where I think it will actually hurt their ability to make money, hurt their ability to be creative. Although they reported such a good number tonight, maybe no one's going to care for now. Again, I know the $5 billion fine's not nothing, but the strictures are the real deal. If you thought that the Trump administration would always favor deregulation, today was a rude awakening for you. 
Look, I've said over and over again that Facebook needed to hire some big-shot former judge. You could probably get tired of me saying it. A well-respected lawyer, someone with a reputation for integrity in order to self-police. I warned them and warned them and warned them that without a real effort to self-regulate, the government would step in and do it for them. And now they are paying the price for not listening. The price is an incredible level of intrusion, if not right loss of autonomy. It gets worse. Given that both political parties are united in their hatred of Facebook, not to mention the other big tech names. I heard today that Facebook got off easy. I mean, that's, that's bad news for the future if you're a shareholder, even if you're tonight's good quarter. So what does this mean for you? It means that going forward, we need to measure how much government interference there can be under the Trump administration for your portfolio. Not a Warren administration, not a Sanders administration, but a Trump administration. The bottom line, after today, this White House is clearly not as friendly to big business as I know I thought. The days of corporations getting a free pass is over unless they happen to be in Republican-friendly industries like coal and oil. And that is a major shift that's not getting enough attention. The fine was only when talked about. After today, I think this intrusion by the government is being ignored at your own peril. Let's go to Dennis in California, please. Dennis. Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm good. How about you? I'm good. I'm seeing several different factors on Carnival Cruise Line. One, I'm seeing a 52-week low of $44.76 a share on June 27th. But then I'm seeing a significant insider purchase by two insiders recently. Okay. I'm also seeing lower full-year earning guidance, and I'm seeing lower full-year net revenue guidance. Right. Well, you know, see, here's what's happening. The cruise business was better, and then it got softer. And Cuba was taken away. And what happened is, is that you basically got blindsided, the president blindsided him with the getting rid of Cuba. Uh, and I do think that Royal is a better buy right now. Can I go to Jeff in Florida, please, Jeff? Hey, Mr. Kramer, how yes. are you, sir? I'm doing well, Jeff. How about you? Bob, very well, my friend. I would like to uh, shout out a huge booyah to you and just let you know that I appreciate what you do for people. I don't think they really appreciate uh, the fact of the knowledge that you put out there for people. Uh, you're very With kind. That, I mean, I see people in the street and I get a lot of nice comments, so I'm always pretty happy. But that's a really we had some nice people came by uh, the Longshoremen last night. They were so incredibly help, uh, gra- gracious. So I, I do get a lot of nice things. But thank you so much. It's very kind. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And you're very welcome, sir. Thank um, you. Uh, it, 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 what you do is very much appreciated. Thank you. Uh, by those of us that, uh, that, that look out for ourselves. Okay, thank now, you. Now, with that being said, sir, uh, it, I've got a two-pronged question. Uh, number one, it's Kraft Heinz. Right. And the new CEO, Miguel Patricio. Uh, you know, he's come from some pretty big league uh, companies. Right. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that. Okay, here's the problem with KHC. In the end, there's no growth. I like growth. I don't think that uh, they can shuffle all they want on that Titanic of a food company. But to me, what matters is growth, because this is about the stock market, not about pantry brands. So I'm going to tell you to stay away and stick with a growth stock like a PepsiCo or a Coca-Cola. Like the wild card in this market, 
Let's just own it. It's the government. This administration isn't as friendly to business as I thought. They've carved out some businesses, but these big, great American businesses, uh-uh. He's saying no more free passes. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, there's a wondrous process happening on Wall Street. It's called metamorphosis. I'm talking the caterpillar turning into a butterfly, or not. Then I'm telling you how to profit off the biggest news out of Washington this week. No, not the Mueller hearing. The debt ceiling deal. And the major banks aren't the only financials winning here. I'm eyeing regional player first horizon to find out if they can continue to climb even after these terrific earnings. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today. If you're running a cyclical company, your goal is to become less cyclical, less hostage to the strength or weakness of the broader economy. If you can smooth out your earnings, if you can disentangle your sales from the business cycle, you know what? Then you have a winner. As long as your numbers remain episodic and beholden to the fates, you're going to have a boom and bust cycle. When there's a bust, cyclicals get destroyed. Take today. We have multiple examples of what happens when you get it right and when you get it wrong. One of today's biggest winners, United Parcel Service, UPS. At one time or another, this great American company has been hurt by economic weakness, both domestically and overseas. Today showed you what happens when United Parcel managed to smooth things out. You get a much better story, and the stock exploded higher. It was up nearly 8%. UPS is no longer an episodic cyclical at the mercy of the business cycle. That's what we saw this morning. And I spoke, when I spoke to the CEO, I couldn't agree. Boom, it, they did it. It's got a secular growth story that's levered to e-commerce, and that makes for a much better stock. Wall Street always pays more for a secular grower than a cyclical one. Texas Instruments, TXN, is in a similar situation. Historically, it's been very cyclical, even for a semiconductor company. Despite the stock's 7% rally today, you should know that the quarter Texas Instruments reported today was actually pretty ugly in absolute terms. Their sales declined across a broad slate of businesses, everything from personal devices to autos to industrial cell phones, to industrial to cell phones. But get this, the company's actual bottom line was much better than expected. Why? Because even though the economic backdrop was extraordinarily weak, Texas Instruments managed to smooth things out and deliver fantastic earnings per share. The company, long the most cyclical of the semis, has now become a secular grower. It's being rewarded with a much higher valuation. All aboard! On the other hand, companies that live by the business cycle... They die by the business cycle. If you don't try to change, sooner or later you do get slammed. So take Caterpillar. This morning when Cat reported, I expected them to have an okay quarter. Not great, but better than the broader economy. I had Cat pegged as a cyclical that was trying to turn into a more secular grower. I was wrong, and the company disappointed. Now, management did keep their full-year guidance intact. 
Some of the shortfall had to do with a recently announced restructuring, which caused a big hit to earnings this quarter, even as I think it will eventually pay off. Cap bought back a ton of stock, too, which is what I like to see from consistent growers. But at the same time, at a higher raw costs, had $500 million in, in, in inventory. That's way too much. You know, that's way too much supply. At the end of the day, Caterpillar turned out to be too beholden to the oil and gas cycle. Now, we know from Halliburton, which is cutting back its workforce in the Permian Basin, that drilling is deeply cyclical. I do hope that Cat CEO Jim Umpleby, whom I like very much and was a guest on the show, will start under-promising and over-delivering. In some ways, I think he did the opposite. Still, I think it's a buy if it pulls back below 130. I told members of the ActionLearnersPlus.com club that because I believe Jim can turn things around and make it so it's more of a secular grower. But now I only feel comfortable saying that because it looks like the Fed's going to cut interest rates. Believe me, this process of transformation is not easy. And I feel bad for Uncle but I see because I, I know how hard it is. For instance, Honeywell did it, but it took not one but two CEOs to fully transition from a cyclical to a much more, more of a secular grower. United Technologies plans to spin off its most cyclical businesses when it splits up into three separate companies, aerospace, elevators, climate controls. That's one reason why they're trying to buy Raytheon, to combine it with the aerospace division, again, to become less cyclical. The rails are certainly trying to have secu- secular growth through the precision tactics. It worked for Union Pacific, but it didn't work for CSX, though. And I don't feel great about Norfolk Southern, which got slammed after it reported today. I'd love for them to come on the show. James Squire's doing a great job. Now, watch this process. When the cyclicals can pull it off, it's like the transformation from an ugly caterpillar into a beautiful butterfly. And if they fail, well, that's just a plain old caterpillar. Stick with it. While so many were focused on the Mueller hearing today, the biggest news out of Washington this week, aside from the Justice Department's decision to crack down on America's biggest and best tech companies, was the debt ceiling deal. Nobody talked about it. Congress agreed to lift the debt limit through 2021. They also got rid of the last budget caps from the 2011 sequestration deal. Now, what does that mean? It means the companies that feed at the federal trough are safe for the next two years. And nobody's more reliant on government spending than defense contractors. The only question is, which one should you buy? Well, I've got a brand new play in the defense space, and it's the best one. It's called L3 Harris Technologies. It's a company created by the merger of Harris Corporation, which you know we like, and L3 Technologies, an old friend of the show, which was completed at the beginning of this month. This was a brilliant combination. It's created the most high-tech operator in the industry, and that's what makes L3 Harris incredibly compelling. So let me break it down for you. I've been a big fan of uh, the old Harris for years, ever since its last big merger with Exilus in 2015. We had the CEO of Exilus on at that time, and I was just salivating over this deal. Harris made wireless equipment, electronic systems, and terrestrial and space-borne antennas, mostly for the defense sector. Think secure radios, tactical communications networks, embedded encryption systems, military information technology systems. Exilus had a lot of overlap, but they also brought night vision goggles, electronic warfare, radar, and reconnaissance systems to the table. At the time, I told you that William Brown, Bill Brown, everybody calls him the CEO of Harris, deserves the benefit of the doubt because he had such a terrific record of integrating large acquisitions. Back then, a little over three years ago, the stock was trading at just under 80 bucks when we really told you this is the one to own in the group. By the time the L3 merger was announced in October, it was at one in the 150s. Now that Harris and L3 have combined, 
Well, it's at $198. This spectacular 155% gain that was gettable. I know people want to just hide in index funds. We push this and push this. How about L3 Technologies? Again, a lot of overlap. They make communications and electronic systems for the military, homeland security, and commercial aviation customers. They've also got some cybersecurity exposure, protecting the Department of Defense against hackers good contract. That overlap is why the merger with L3 Harris made so much sense. It gives the combined company more scale, which allows them to cut costs and strike better bargains with governments around the world. The new L3 Harris is the sixth largest defense contractor in America. The deal also lets them invest more heavily and more efficiently in innovation. It's the same reason why United Technologies is merging the defense business with the tech-heavy Raytheon, although I have to tell you, in terms of, of companies that are being run well, I think L3 and I, I think Harris are better run than Raytheon. Plus, purely from the perspective of the numbers, this deal was incredibly compelling. We're talking about $500 million in annual pre-tax cost synergies. By the third year after the closing, the company's expecting to generate $3 billion in free cash flow. That's up from $1.9 billion now. That's incredible. Technically, Harris is the acquirer, and Harris shareholders are getting 54% of the, comp- of the combined company. But they've been over backwards to accommodate L3. Basically, this is as close as it really can get. For a stock-for-stock merger of equals, they usually aren't like this, which means it didn't hurt the balance sheet and didn't hurt anybody's feelings. Best of all, both companies have great management. The best executives are staying on board. Bill Brown from Harris remains the chairman and CEO. Remember, this is the guy who did such a fabulous job integrating Exilus. Now, get this. L3's former CEO, Chris Kubasik, has now become... A cubasic, I'm sorry, has now become the chairman, president, and chief operating officer at L3 Harris. But these two are going to switch jobs. When Brown retires in two years, Cubasic will take the reins. Highly unusual. Again, a sign that this is a true merger of equals. It's a great story. The day the deal closed, I got a chance to speak with both gentlemen on Squawk on the Street. They made it clear that L3 Harris is levered to the most consistent parts of the defense budget. Listen to Harris's Bill Brown. We're a technology company. In fact, we're a mission solutions provider. We don't do ships. We don't do planes. We provide equipment on those ships and planes that make them work, work better. New aircraft, new ships, as well as legacy aircraft and legacy ships. So we provide equipment that makes those uh, platforms work better. Wow. See, in other words, they're less levered to any one project and more levered to a wide array of solutions to help all sorts of defense platforms more effective. Not just one plane, not just one ship, the whole slew. They've got a huge intelligence and surveillance business. That's the stuff that never goes out of style, particularly when you're in a cold war with the Chinese. So now that Harris and L3 have joined forces, what's the plan here? First and foremost, they're all about investing in research and development. I can't stress this enough. L3 Harris is a high-tech company that makes extraordinarily complex products. It's valuable to the Pentagon and other defense contractors precisely because of its technical expertise. Second, management's in the process of integrating the two companies. That means optimizing the supply chain and eliminating unnecessary overhead. In total, L3 Harris expect their annual cost savings to come to 1.8% of sales. However, uh, they pointed out that when Harris bought Exilus, guess this, they predicted savings would come in at 1.4. It came in at 1.7. Big deal. Third, they want to reward their shareholders. They made that point to me on and off camera. This is their big focus. Right out of the gate, the company announced a 10% dividend boost, and they added $4 billion to their buyback authorization. And they expect to spend $2.5 billion of that money over the next 12 months. That's one of the reasons why the stock's been going up right now. Even after that increase, the stock still sports a 1.5% yield. But management says they'll consider raising the payout again in the first quarter of next year. But the buyback meant $4 billion. That is substantial. 
Remember, this is only a $44 billion company. They're going to be in there every day. They mean to plan to retire roughly 9% of the share count, including more than 5% over the next year. I hope when I bump into you on the street that you're thinking about this one. Right, there's a lot to like here. So it's no wonder L3 Harris has already had a nice run. After initially washing out on the first day of trading, got hammered for no reason. Told you to buy it. Again, the stock has climbed nearly 20 bucks from its close on July 1st. At these levels, it's trading at 18 times next year's earnings estimates or 15 times 2021 numbers. That's a slight premium to the rest of the group. Boeing sells for 16 times. Lockheed Northrop sells for 15. General Dynamics sells for 14. It also has a lower yield than the other players in the space. However, I think L3 Harris deserves the premium because it's the most technologically oriented, difficult, proprietary defense contractor there is. It's probably the least levered to any individual project that might potentially be cut just in case we have a budget. Someone decides, you know what, we've got to cut the defense budget. Plus, it's trading at a discount compared to the average stock in the S&P 500 if you look at 2021 earnings. Really, if you buy this one right here, you're betting that management will be able to over-deliver when it comes to the cost synergies from the deal, just like they did with the Exelis uh, acquisition. Uh, by the way, that's exactly why Goldman Sachs initiated coverage on L3 Harris with a buy rating and to a $240 price target just two weeks ago. So they're out there locked and loaded. Their thesis, they think the company can beat Wall Street's consensus earnings estimates in short order. And they believe that L3 Harris is poised to take market share in the Pentagon budget thanks to their technology-rich products offerings. They're in some of the strongest parts of the defense sector. Both companies had strong numbers the last time they reported, and management has a tremendous track record. Now, the company reports next next Wednesday. Uh, It's before the open. And in all honesty, I'm not quite sure what to expect because of all the moving parts. But I like L3 Harris so much that I think you should be prepared to buy it if the quarter's confusing, which it very much, very much might be, and the stock pulls back. Although, get this, I would not be adverse to you buying stuff, stock tomorrow right here and then waiting for the quarter to buy more. That's the level of conviction I have with the new L3 Harris Technologies, LHX. Craig in Tennessee, Craig! Jim, a big war eagle booyah from Nashville, Tennessee. Nashville, the area is booming. It is just, it's also great real estate investment down there. What's going on? iRobot Corporation, IRBT, lowered guidance for the rest of the year because of the trade war. Stock has plunged 20%. Is it a buy? Not yet. I mean, I did. we did work on this today uh, with my Action Alert group. Here's the deal. When you have a decline like this, that means there are still some sellers out there who didn't get done. I think you've got to wait until next week if you want to, but I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like big surprises. Damn, not my cup of tea. Terry in Missouri. Terry! Jim, thanks for taking my call. No problem. First-time caller, long-time listener, and student. First-time, long-time. <laughs> hey, what do you think of U.S. Steel? I mean, no. is it a low point? Oh, no. No, I'm a balance sheet guy. If U.S. Steel goes up, which it very well may, I would much rather have you be in Nucor. Why Nucor? Because you got a dividend, you can sleep at night, and you got a better balance sheet. And I have seen huge amounts of money lost in steel stocks with bad balance sheets. And we know what we're talking about, whether it be everything from Wheeling to Jones and Lachlan to, well, let's just say some of the more lamented ones like Bethlehem Steel. I think that L3 Harris is a great long-term investment. Even if it gets hit on earnings, you could buy into weakness. Maybe we should buy that for action alerts. I'm trying to figure out whether to tell Club members 
members its right. Okay, much more mad money. While the Fed looks like it's set to cut short-term interest rates, what does it mean for the, let's say, for a regional bank company like First Horizon? Aren't they supposed to get hurt here? I'm going to talk to the CEO. Then what does the Cloud Kings earnings report signal for the rest of the sector? I'm going to sit down with the CEO of ServiceNow, one of our favorites, to break down its latest report. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. When the major banks reported last week, you know, they knocked the ball out of the park. But they're not the only financials that are winning here. Many of the regional banks have caught fire, too. Take one of my favorites, First Horizon National. That's a Tennessee-based regional bank with more than 350 locations across the southeast. When First Horizon, FHN, reported last Tuesday, the company delivered a five-cent earnings beat off a 37-cent basis. That's a giant beat for a bank. Higher than expected sales, up 6% year-over-year, driven by higher fee income. When you drill down, they had 5% average loan growth. That's very strong. Their efficiency ratio off the charts. The percent of sales that they spend on non-interest expenses down big, coming in at 59%. Wall Street was looking for 62. Oh, there's a lot to like here. No wonder the stock jumped 6% on the news. This is a bank stock. Now, Wall Street's been nervous about the banks because the Fed looks set to cut short-term interest rates, and that should cut into First Horizon's profitability. But at this kind of quarter, you got to wonder whether the stock might be worth owning in spite of the Fed. Do not take it from me. Let's check in with Brian Jordan. The always reliable chairman and CEO of First Horizon National. He had a better sense of the quarter where the company's headed. Okay, I got to tell you, Brian, this was a quarter that made me think, you know what? Let's forget about net interest margin. Let's talk about growth. You've got that may be the best growth of any bank I follow in this country. Well, thank you. We, we have an outstanding footprint, and the economy is still very, very strong in our footprint. And if we're slowing down, it, it appears to be that it, it may be more regional and on average, we're seeing very good growth in, in the Carolinas and Tennessee and Florida. Now, it also seems that this is the kind of ideal uh, time for a bank. Your charge offs are low. You've got something you're specially lending is on fire. It just seems like this is the environment that we've been waiting for, which is why your stock has taken off. Yeah, I agree. Credit quality continues to be very, very good. And, and an interesting statistic Annual financial statements come in and they get reviewed about mostly from the end of the first quarter through the end of the second quarter. This year we had fewer uh, credit downgrades, which is a degradation in credit with our borrowers than we've had in any of the last couple of years. So credit quality continues to be strong. Interest rates are stable, as you suggested in your intro. We'll probably see the Fed cut this month and maybe again later in the year. But the economy, as I said earlier, is still pretty strong. Borrowers are borrowing money, and we're still very optimistic about our ability to grow in this environment. Yeah, Brian, the, the negativists are going to say, well, wait a second. You two guys are talking. You're really excited. Well, what the hell does the Fed need to cut rates for if things are so good? I mean, I could argue that you could even get that things could get better because there's no inflation from what I see. Why not cut rates? I mean, what is the point of that last quarter point? Do you agree? Yeah, I think that's the basic argument with inflation running plus or minus one and a half, one point six percent. If if the Fed cuts by twenty five basis points and inflation goes up a little bit and it strengthens the economy, is that a bad thing? And I think it'd be hard to argue against that. And I think that may be the fundamental underpinning of what drives the decision in in the next several quarters. Now, is there an anomaly? Are you? Is it possible that Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Florida? 
are the strongest states in the country. Well, I don't know if they're the strongest, but they're going to be some of the strongest, is, is in my view. They're, they're great environment for business. They're good for labor. They're good for cost of living, low-tax states. And so we're seeing a lot of opportunity. And as we talk to borrowers across the entire franchise, while there's a little bit of concern about what we don't know that's being factored into the yield curve and what may be happening with tariffs, on the whole, people are very, very excited and optimistic, and their balance sheets are strong. Do you think uh, that we can possibly say that there's two economies, there's the consumer who's doing incredibly well, and then some of the larger companies that have to deal with tariffs and overseas that aren't doing as well or are concerned? Uh, because it does seem like Washington is making life troublesome for some of the companies that, tra- that sell overseas. I think that's fair. The consumer is still very, very strong, and you see that in in credit card usage. You see that in consumer confidence. You see that in employee report, employment reports, and you never can lose sight of the fact that 70% or so of the economy is driven by the consumer. There are some things that are impacting commercial entities, and those are real, and they're likely to have some impact. But if people can stay employed and then continue to spend money, I think the economy will be stable. And whether we come in at 1.5% or 2% growth later in the, in the week on GDP, I think we're in a period where with lower interest rates and strong consumer, we can see a pretty attractive economy for the next several quarters, if not years. Now, how are you able to, for a long time you had the Bonefish plan, it was really pretty amazing. But it just seems like this one quarter, the expenses really clicked. It showed me what could happen. You have expenses doing nothing and revenues going up. That makes you a very valuable franchise. Well, thank you. We we still use the bonefish. It still drives our, our financial management, and we're very focused on driving return on equity. We use the phrase often, we try to control what we can control. And as we completed the merger integration with Capital Bank and we completed the $85 million in cost saves, we saw additional cost opportunities that we think we could realize. We we took some of those and took them to the bottom line, as you said, by keeping costs flat to down. And at the same time, we're continuing to make investments in the business. We're hiring bankers. We're bringing people onto the platform. We're investing in technology. So we're trying to focus on eliminating the bad costs and keep spending the dollars on the things that will help the business grow. Well, i got to congratulate you. It was just the breakout quarter that I knew could happen. You just did a great job. That's Brian Jordan. He is the chairman and CEO of First Horizon. Hey, guys, you want these $16 stocks that you should get excited about? Get excited about this one. Stay with Kramer. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skate. Got it. Over the lightning round. Because we're going in Tennessee. Cy. Hey, Jim. Booyah. How you doing? Booyah. All right. So I want to get your recommendation on Twilio. Because I think Twilio is the backbone of so much of what's going on in Silicon Valley right now, whether it be Lyft, whether it be Airbnb, that even at these exalted levels in my travel trust, I say the same thing. It is still a buy. How about Nick and me? Nick. Hey, Jen. How's it going? Not bad. How about you, Nick? 
Good, good. Hey, so I'm 25 years old and I'm currently up on this position, but I think HBO Max is still undervalued. Should I chase AT&T here? I'm going to tell you, I think AT&T delivered a good quarter. I didn't like the idea they're going to buy back stock. I'd rather them buy back debt, but they said it's too expensive to do it that way. But I do believe that the cash flow is humongous and AT&T can be bought. I need to go to Drew in Florida. Drew! Hey, Jim, this is Drew. Thanks for everything you do for us every night. Oh, thank you. My stock I'm asking about tonight is Iron Mountain Solutions. Got a good yield, I think, and that yield, I think, is good distribution, I should say. And that distribution is real, and I think it's worth earning your stock. Let's go to Mike. Mike, Mike in Ohio. Mike! Booyah, baby. Booyah. Go Bucks. What's up? You've lived an interesting life. Gave back as a double AP member. Oh, terrific. Excellent. What do you what do you think of SMLP? That yield's too high. There's something the matter there that, that yield's too high. I don't Maybe like late. it. I think that this is another one of the MLP traps. I'm going to ask you to stay away from it. Ken in New Jersey. Ken! Hey, Jim. How you doing? Good. How about you? Pretty good. Wondering if uh, Fortune Brands is a hold. I got in around... No, actually, with rates coming down, I'm going to sanction buying the stock. We had a terrific show, by the way, the other day at Home Depot with Cal to make. Uh, Fortune Brands is fine here. And that, ladies and gentlemen, Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. I'm always warning you about fantastic stocks of great companies that run up into earnings. When the expectations get ahead of themselves, those stocks tend to go right back down, even if the underlying company reports a good quarter. Look at ServiceNow, the cloud-based software company that helps businesses automate all sorts of back-office jobs. Stocks sold off hard in after-hours trading because the company reported a quarter with a little bit of hair on it. And I mean a little. ServiceNow delivered an $0.08 earnings beat off a 63-cent basis, higher than expected sales, up 35% year-over-year. The problem, the company's subscription billings forecast for the next quarter was a bit light, as was its more operating margin guidance. But because the stock had run into the quarter, anything less than perfection was going to cause a sell-off. And I question these nitpicks. So is it worth buying the pullback? Let's take a closer look with John Dono. And John's the president and CEO of ServiceNow. Get a read, better read on the quarter of the company's prospects. Mr. Dono, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Nice to be here. All right, John, a lot of times these analysts get caught up in nitty-gritty, and I find that they may lead you in what I call a misdirection play. Let's talk about the things first that I think are very important. New customers and big customers. Sign any, and how big? Well, we now, Jim, have 766 customers that are a million dollars and greater. We signed 40 new customers of a million dollars and greater in the quarter. And that's just symptomatic of the fact that we now work with 75% of the global 500. We're increasingly a strategic partner with those customers. 17 of our top 20 deals had three or more products. And so we feel very good about the about the relationships we're building with the world's largest customers, our largest companies and governments. In the time since I've known you, you've built up quite a relationship with Microsoft. I think Microsoft has had the single best quarter of any large capitalization stock during this year. Tell me about the relationship and what it's doing for ServiceNow. Well, the relationship, Jim, is a very good one. And we're initially focusing on U.S. federal business, where Microsoft has a strong presence, as do we. We have a huge federal business, and our data centers have a certain security clearance. 
Microsoft Azure has the highest security clearance. So rather than us trying to replicate that, we're going to partner with them to take advantage of that Azure capability and jointly call on U.S. federal customers, as well doing the same with federal customers in Australia. And increasingly, we'll look at other government markets. So we're, we have 20 different product integrations with Microsoft, a long history with them. So we think there's a lot of shared opportunity together. Okay, now there was some complication in the call. People were trying to figure out. You also had a departing CFO everybody loves. There was a lot of congratulations to him, which is totally right. But there, people seem to pick on different metrics. And I have learned from someone whose metric, frankly, you did better on than he did, from Mark Benioff from Salesforce, that I need to get up to speed about remaining performance obligation because that is really the apples to apples tell, not necessarily bookings, not necessarily billings, but RPOs. How do you stack up versus what you were looking for and versus others, other cloud kings, as we call them, in your industry? Well, RPO, we do think RPO is a very good indication, the, probably the best forward-looking indication of our business because it demonstrates what kind of revenue you can expect going forward. Our RPO, our current RPO, grew 35% in the quarter. So we feel very good about the outlook and future of our business. And we raised guidance for the full year both on revenue and billing. So, so we, see, we see a lot of opportunity and we have a lot of strong momentum and we're focused on building those customer relationships that drive that growth. Okay, I know that there, I mean, I, look, there are legi- legitimate issues about, and your uh, departing CFO talked about it, uh, about some cell phone renewals shifting from Q2 to Q3. The largest was this a federal customer. One of the reasons I wanted to bring up Microsoft is that sounds like that might be part of that nexus. I don't think I should read a weakness in your business into that statement. Not at all, Jim. That, that in particular case, and again, The reason it impacted things was government are self-hosted and with regulation 606, accounting regulation 606, that's how it's accounted for. That particular case was a large federal agency that is expanding our relationship and pushed the renewal into Q3. Uh, We're highly confident it will close and we have a tremendous federal backlog in Q3 in pipeline. And so we feel very good, which was reflected in our annual guidance, raising our annual guidance. We can't control what happens in one quarter versus another down to the knit. And overall, we feel very good about our annual guidance and raised it. And we feel very good about our business. All right. Again, I want to clarify something that an analyst asked on the call then. Uh, one analyst said it looks like the full year increase was less than what we saw at Q2, sort of an implicit guide down for the second half. That's not really the case, is it? No, Mike answered that question three times on the earnings call, Jim. What basically happens? What basically happens there is certain renewals got pulled into Q2, so that was reflected into the Q2 billings, and therefore it doesn't change our our full year uh, our full year billings guidance, but it uh, counts for it earlier in the year. So we actually raised billings guidance for the year five million, which just reflects the fact that we are increasingly and continue to be. Very optimistic in our business. Oh, I'm so glad you said that because, you know, I read this thing over and over. I said, come on. But they that's their job. Their job. I'm more interested in things like your mobile app and how people love that at the workplace. And that's what they're asking for. That's what I want to know about things like innovation that you're doing. Well, our customers um, spend so much time with our customers and our customers are very excited about mobile coming to the enterprise. 
It's been a long time in coming. Our release in Q3 will have native, out-of-the-box, consumer-grade mobile capabilities. So now any ServiceNow customer can have a brilliant mobile onboarding app so that their new employees can get up to speed quickly, seamlessly. You can show a, 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 a young new employee, a millennial, that you, in fact, are a modern company that helps get them on board and productive quickly. Also, the Now Mobile app, which will allow employees to get their problem, questions answered, problems reported and dealt with, get information like all my approvals are now in one place every morning, I can check them. And so we're very excited about the uh, mobile capabilities coming in Q3, native out of the box, so every one of our customers can build them in a low-code, no-code way. Well, that is what's Mobile's going to drive Mobile's coming things. to the enterprise, right. finally. And that's what's going to drive things. And I, I do have to tell you, John, you have been just so frank with us. And I, I wish I hadn't had to get in the weeds on something I knew wasn't right. But it's a great opportunity for people who watch our show to say, I don't know why that stock's down. I just heard John say that things are good. Isn't that the real takeaway? We feel very good about our growth. We feel very good about our customers, very good about our prospects. And we're just focusing and executing so our customers get those great experiences. That's all I need to know. Thank you to John Dono. He's the president and CEO of ServiceNow with another great quarter, NOW. Thanks so much, sir. Stick with Kramer. Facebook, the target of Washington, very bad. Facebook, the company, very good. I saw a lot to like, including they remain the best alternative and give you much better results. I'm taking their word for it when it comes to TV versus Facebook. And that's something that hasn't gone away at all. It's getting stronger. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer, and I'll see you tomorrow. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today.